Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you today in part by Azi and Morphotech, we are joined by three guests who are here to talk about the issue of cancer and careers. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the number of cancer survivors is rapidly increasing as technology for early detection, public awareness, and treatment options improve. The number of survivors in the U.S. is more than 12 million, which undoubtedly accounts for a significant number of America's workforce. Whether an individual is newly diagnosed or a long-term survivor, challenges certainly do arise in the workplace. So today we hope to offer advice and some legal insights into the topic of cancer in the workplace. Uh, we know that 80% of cancer survivors return to work after treatment and that employment can be vital for many folks who are living uh, with cancer for a number of reasons, obviously income, uh, benefits, but even really a desire to regain a sense of normalcy after a cancer diagnosis. So um, in today's episode, we're going to cover the main challenges for those living with cancer who have a career, uh, including working through some basic issues, searching for a new job, legal rights, insurance questions. Um, we've got, got quite a bit to cover. We'll look at what you need to know, um, whether you're newly diagnosed or a survivor, uh, perhaps looking for a career change. We have three great guests on our show today who can speak to all of these issues and more. Uh, they bring experience and insight into many of the employment challenges facing those who are living today with cancer. First, we have Kate Sweeney, the Executive Director of Cancer and Careers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering and educating people with cancer to thrive in their workplace by providing expert advice, interactive tools, and educational events. Thanks for joining us, Kate. Sure. Great to be here. Next, we have our friend Joanna Morales, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, which is a national joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School, Los Angeles, that provides free information and resources on cancer-related legal issues to cancer survivors and anyone affected by the disease. Hello, my dear friend Joanna. How are you today? Great, great. And finally, we have Julie Jansen, a speaker and career coach who helps thousands of professionals find success and satisfaction at work. She's also the author of 
I don't know what I want, but I know it's not this. And you want me to work with who? I love those titles. She's appeared on the Today Show, MSNBC, MD, uh, NPR, and ABC World News. Hello, Julie. Hi, Kim. Um, luckily, I've never had to say, I don't know what I want, but I know it's not this, because <laughs> I have a great job, so I'm happy to happy to say that. But uh, we, we've got uh, quite a show, so we're going to jump right in. I'm going to start with you, Kate. Um, as, the executive, as the executive director of Cancer and Careers, you must see a lot of issues that cancer patients and survivors uh, face, probably a multitude of issues. But can you highlight perhaps, you know, one, two, three of the biggest challenges that, that folks face? Sure. Sure, they sort of fall into four major buckets. Um, there's the legal and insurance uh, challenges, which Joanna will get into later. Yep. There are the practical challenges, um, like scheduling around treatment, um, how to deal with the side effects from treatment. We surveyed um, our readers on our website, and 70% cited fatigue as the bi- bi- biggest obstacle, and nausea is right after that. Um, and nearly everyone mentions the lack of focus or chemo brain, as people call it. Um, and then there's the misperception of employers that people with cancer just want to go on disability, that they don't want to work, mm-hmm. they just want the time off, when in fact people really do want to work if they can, but they really just need the added flexibility and accommodations to do so. Um, and then there are the emotional challenges of not wanting to be labeled as the person with cancer. Um, we just had an event um, just recently where a woman who was a year after um, finishing treatment, she still felt that people saw her as cancer girl, and you know, put that in quotes, um, And she wanted to know how to respond to that question, how are you feeling, when really she just wanted to move on and stop talking about it, you know. Um, So so at that event, um, Julie had some great suggestions for just coming up with a quick response, um, something funny if if that works for you. And what we came up for her in that session was, I'm fabulous, how are you? (laughs) And it was, you know, might not be right for everybody, but it was the kind of thing that worked for her because it was funny, succinct, and, you know, quickly deflected the conversation onto another subject. So um, those are sort of the four big things that come up a lot. Great. That's a great, great framework. Um, so, Kate, let's just drill down for a minute and get to some, some practical things. So, you know, let's, let's go to sort of the moment when somebody's been newly diagnosed with cancer, I'm sure, particularly for folks who are working. Um, one, of the, one of the first questions or early questions would be, um, do I disclose my diagnosis at work? Do I tell my boss? Do I tell my boss confidentially? Do I tell my boss and my coworkers? So what, what advice do you have for someone on um, whether they should tell their, their boss, let their workplace know about their cancer? Right. Well, again, there's the legal issues um, to consider, um, which Joanna will go into. But after that, it's really a personal decision. Um, and so you want to explore your work environment and culture. Is it sort of a safe, flexible environment? Um, then you might want to tell early. Um, and tell all the details so that you can get the full support and accommodations that you need. Um, If it's a more corporate, formal environment where people really don't share things, then you might want to tell just when necessary and just keep it to the facts. Um, And a lot of people, you know, aren't really sure, you know, what type of environment and, and whether to tell, and there's some great questions to start asking yourself. Um, how long have you been employed at the company? You know, if you've just started, it's a whole different scenario than if you've been with the company for 20 years. Um, what are your work relationships? 
is it a really close-knit team with a lot of teamwork? Well, then they're probably going to all pull together and help you get through this. Um, and that can really help determine the dynamic at play. Um, how have other people been treated in similar situations? Um, you know, the person down the hall who had to take time off for um, some elder care or something like that. If, if the company was flexible when, for other people, then that might be um, an indication that they'll be flexible in your situation as well. Um, are there donated vacation time policies or flexible work um, policies? Those are good signs that the culture is positive. Um, and then finally, you really need to explore your own individual personality and feelings around the cancer diagnosis because, you know, you're the same person that you were before you were diagnosed. So if you're the type of person who, are, you know, tells everything about their weekend, Monday morning at the water cooler, then you're probably want to tell your people at work everything. But if you're more private, then you want to go with that. Um, and then you also want to think about, you know, everyone reacts to a cancer diagnosis differently. And so just because, you know, people say it should be one way, you really need to be true to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so let me jump to Julie. Okay, so, so Julie, patient does decide. Let's go to our coach here. Patient uh, does choose to disclose the diagnosis. Um, any advice on doing that? How should they address it? When is the best time? What's the best way to talk to your boss or your coworkers about this? Yeah, so as as um, Kate said, it's really important to understand sort of what's happened historically. But then moving on, so many people do find out about their diagnosis when they're working. That's mm-hmm. very common. So therefore, you know, good or bad, the timing decision is made for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a choice to be able to tell, um, it's ideal if you've gathered as much information as you can first. Mm-hmm. about your diagnosis, about the treatment schedule, how it will actually affect your work, and then most important, have a plan of action ready. Um, the plan of action would involve how you're actually going to handle the work when you're out and when mm-hmm. you will be out, any schedule changes that may occur, how um, you can be reached, who's going to cover the work if that's necessary, and then just reiterate um, and remind your everybody at your um, job that things are fluid and they can change. It, you know, this is new for you, so you don't really know how you're going to feel on day three of your treatment versus day 30. So it's important to explain that as well. And then, and then really an example of a game plan might be, you know, I'm having radiation every day, Monday through Friday, for the next five weeks at 8.30, so I would like my work hours to be 10 to 6 instead of 9 to 5. Susan will be answering my phone in that time period, that hour until I get in. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it just demonstrates that you're proactive and you've thought through the transition. So, um, Kate, we've only got a couple minutes till our first break here, but um, but how do you how does someone determine if they should work through treatment or, or you know or, or take time off? I mean, is that something that folks could even know, or do they have to just maybe ask for some flexibility to see how the treatment goes and how they manage the you know manage treatment and side effects? What what factors should somebody consider? Well, I think you want to again start asking yourself some questions and your healthcare team questions as well. So how is the treatment and side effects going to affect your work and schedule? Um, what are your job demands, both physical and mental? And you really need to be realistic about this. What are your real hours, not just the ones that are on paper? Um, what are the physical demands? Do you have to really lift heavy boxes, um, mm-hmm. something like that? And then, like, what are the new barriers? So a lengthy commute that was doable, you know, when you're healthy and strong, 
standing up on the bus for an hour might not be as doable um, when you're going through treatment. And then you need to look at the other d- demands beyond work, like um, child care, cooking dinner, homework, taking care of elderly parents, and, and what parts of those can be delegated. Um, and then you want to look at how flexible is your work environment. Uh-huh. And can you work less hours? Um, can you work 30 hours instead of 40? Um, can you have flexibility in hours so you can um, do your work around the treatment? Um, and then what type of work assignments um, mm-hmm can be shifted. Um, and then there are right. the financial and health concerns, which sometimes simply that makes the decision for you. You know, if you, if you need the money and you need the insurance, you know, you can't, you might not necessarily be able to take time off. Um, and then the final thing is um, something that's often overlooked, but how is your identity connected to your work? You know, for a lot of us, our workmates are a family. Um, our identity is deeply rooted in our work. It's a reason to get up in the morning. It's really tied to our life's purpose. Um, and then something we hear again and again is it's an escape from cancer land. Um, so you don't have to be thinking about the doctor's appointments and things like that. You can, uh, you know, have some place that's you can get away from all your, that. Your skills and your mind and, yeah. Um, I think those are all great points, great, great considerations. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Today we're talking about uh, cancer and careers, uh, obviously a lot of considerations with regard uh, to your work life when you are diagnosed with cancer, income, uh, benefits, desire to maintain a, you know, a sense of normalcy. Um, we've got a lot to cover on the show. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. 
On today's show, we're talking about the issues of cancer and employment and the many challenges that those living with cancer face with their career as well as the many resources and rights that patients have. I'm talking today with Kate Sweeney, the Executive Director of Cancer and Careers, Julie Jansen, a professional career coach and author, and Joanna Morales, the Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center. Um, in our next segment, we're going to discuss, uh, uh, we're discussing individuals living with cancer who are uh, searching for jobs, seeking a career change, because obviously there are issues and ramifications there. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Julie, and also just want to let our listeners know that um, uh, to stay with us in our next uh, segment, we're really going to be getting into some legal issues and, 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 uh, and uh, patient uh, consumer rights in the workplace, and I'm and, um, going to pull Joanna in uh, for that conversation. But, um, but, but Julie, what are some of the biggest challenges people with cancer face when they're looking for a job? Yeah, the, I would say the number one is, do I talk about it? Do I have to talk about it? Do, you know, do I bring it up in an interview? Do I not bring it up at all? What do I say? When do I say anything yeah. about it if I do? Um, why do you have gaps on your resume? That's a, that's a big concern. How do I mm-hmm. cover that up? What do I say? What's my response to that? Um, they may be just, you know, a desire to do something different. Um, you're looking for a job that's the same, but you really, your heart isn't in it because, as you know, most people with uh, having gone through cancer really kind of are thinking about doing something different. Um, so how do they present that? And then finally, I would say, you know, worrying about insurance. Um, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. A, that's a big one. So, um, so, so let's get into that. You talk about how do you explain the gaps. Um, you know, let's get into some of that, how somebody should address the gaps. But also, um, Julie, advice for, for the interview process, for, for, for writing a resume, for thinking about, you know, for, 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 for those who haven't been through a cancer experience, those are kind of normal parts of the process. But obviously cancer adds a whole new challenge into those types of things. So any, any advice on the interview process, the resume writing? Yeah. Well, I'm practically speaking, a resume, regardless, is always going to be focused on achievements, uh, achievements that you've, you know, accomplished in your past work history. And that will never change, regardless of whether you've been out, out of the workplace or not. Um, there are different formats of resumes that people can write that can, uh, you know, sort of hide some of the gaps a little bit more, like putting a more of a, a functional piece uh, towards the top of your first page. Um, so often we recommend that people do that. Um, and, you know, a resume, there's a certain format that's expected that's contemporary that, again, doesn't change regardless of whether you've been working or not. Um, as far as the interview process, um, really, really important that you're buttoned up as far as your responses. You know, everybody needs to practice for an interview regardless. Sure. But someone who's had a cancer diagnosis, is that's all they're thinking about. And they don't realize that the person who's interviewing them, they're not thinking about, um, you know, the same kinds of things on the same level. So, Kate, um, let's get specifically into that issue of explaining a gap. Um, on the resume, uh, how, how do you advise folks to uh, to address that issue when it has been because of a, a medical leave, a cancer leave, or you know an absence due to, to a cancer or other illness? Sure. Well, there are certain types of um, resumes that are more um, sort of take attention away from um, gaps in the resume a little bit more than others, and we have some great examples on the website of um, combination chronological and functional resumes. Um, so if anyone wants to see an example of that, go to cancerandcareers.org. 
Um, some other things you can do on your resume is to list the years of work history, not the months. Um, and then also if there are gaps that are longer than, um, than a year, you can say things like six years of customer service work or two years of managerial work on customer service and so on. Um, but if you, you always want to have an answer ready for why you did, uh, why there is a gap on your resume um, in case a question does come up. Um, and it, you don't necessarily have to say it was because of cancer or even a health issue. And you need to come up with something that, it, you know, works for you, but it should be succinct um, and to the point. You don't need to go into any details. Um, and then quickly deflect the the conversation back to why you're the best person for the job. So it might have, you might say I had some family issues that are all, you know, that are all wrapped up um, and I'm ready to get back to work and excited about this position. So just being really succinct. And what if somebody's going in, Kate, into a, um, a situation where they're, they're still on some kind of treatment or therapy and in, in a new job situation would need some kind of accommodation of schedule or things like that. How would you advise somebody on that front? I think you want to first, uh, you know, be secure that uh, you want to, be, you know, you do want to bring it up in the very early interview process. Um, you want to bring it up. You actually you don't have to. It depends whether you need um, accommodations, um, whether okay. you're going to need time off. Um, but I, I would do that late in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, while we're on the the, uh, the the subject, Kate, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about Cancer and Careers, who you guys are, what you do, so that they can understand what some of those resources are? Because I know a lot of our listeners are going to be, you know, I think our discussion today is going to prompt a lot of questions for folks, and we want to make sure we're guiding them to some good resources that are out there. So just tell us a little bit about the organization. Sure. Um, basically, we're just a one-stop shop for all the issues related to work and cancer. Um, we offer national community events where we partner with local cancer communities like CSC um, to do events all over the country. We pair up with a medical person and someone from the Cancer Legal Resource Center to talk about the legal and insurance. Um, we are just coming up in next week um, for our first annual conference in New York, which will be a day-long um, conference on all of the different issues surrounding work and cancer, working during treatment, job reentry, job search, and career change. Um, we'll have experts from all over the country talking about all those issues. Um, we have New York support groups. Um, we also have patient teleconferences where uh, patients can ask the experts, um, and those are quarterly. We have one on legal and one on career coaching. Um, so those are a great opportunity to just ask individual questions. Um, we have ed- accredited ed- educational programs for oncology nurses and social workers and a really robust website and online community as well as free publications. And I know it's a big list, so the one thing you need to remember is just the URL and just the website, cancerandcareers.org, um, and that's where all the information is. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Julie, let's go back for a minute to the issue of people who are thinking about making a, a career change. Um, you know, we hear, we, we, we hear folks talk about a lot of reasons they want to make a change. They, they, maybe they're no longer able to do uh, the job that they have. Maybe the, you know, we hear a lot of folks say cancer was a wake-up call for them and that they want to really look for something that's perhaps more meaningful uh, to them on the, um, on the career front. Could you give us some additional advice for folks who are thinking about um, making a career change and what some of those considerations are? 
Yeah, and it, it's very confusing for people when they have to think about doing something different, um, especially if they don't want to, but because of um, a specific reasons related to their cancer, they now need to. Um, we, so the first thing that's important is, you know, you mentioned looking for meaning, Kim, and, it, yes. you know, just figuring out what's important to you. What do you need? Going through a, a self-assessment process, you know, getting in touch with your values, your top values that need to be fulfilled. Um, you know, knowing what you're interested in, um, understanding what your skills are and the skills that you would like to learn, maybe, or the skills that you like to use still. Um, and then, really, you know, career change sounds so dramatic, but I think right. it's very important for people to say, you know, maybe I just need to shift. So maybe if I'm working within an organization, um, doing something, you know, in marketing um, where I'm traveling 90% of the time, maybe I just need to shift into another, you know, functional area within my organization where I can still use my writing skills, my client service skills, or, you know, whatever it is. So trying to think that way, looking around you, looking at what jobs, other people have, talking to people, networking, because one of the things that's prevalent is people really don't have any idea what jobs exist out there. They kind of know the, you know, sort of the the doctor, lawyer, teacher, shoemaker, baker thing, and they don't know that there's 70,000 different jobs for people. Um, And then it's really identifying, I always have, you know, like to say, identify two paths, one that's closer to what you've been doing, but that will alleviate some of the, you know, concerns that you've had after your cancer diagnosis, and something that maybe is a little bit different. And go out and talk to people who are doing those jobs, um, network with them, and then just come up with an action plan, you know, in order to go start getting interviews. Is it, um, Julie, do you find that it's sometimes difficult for someone emotionally to kind of perhaps realize that they can't do their job any longer as a result of a, of a cancer experience? I, you know, before we get to the break, I imagine there might be some emotional elements to that. Yeah, we, I mean, people, are, you know, we, at the last event that uh, Kate referred to in Chicago, yeah. we had um, a couple postal uh, workers who, you know, ha- carry the mail. Mm-hmm. And they and then because because of the situation with their their lymph nodes and or things like that they they can't anymore, mm-hmm. and they're frustrated and you know with long tenure and there's anger and there's emotion there a lot of emotion around that and so that unfortunately puts up a roadblock to someone's thinking that they can even possibly come up with another idea you know. And so, and 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 the point that you know the that employers or others automatically assume that people want to go into disability, but that's often not the case. People want to work. People want to feel valued. Julie, correct? Absolutely. I mean, to your earlier statistic, it, it is true that almost eighty percent of people go back, want to go back to work, not just for the money and benefits. To your point, but people need to you know find meaning. They need to be productive. They need to make a difference. And we see so many people with who have had a cancer diagnosis who now want to really work for a nonprofit, even help other people with cancer. You know, that, that's prevalent. Yes. Kim, and, Kim in, um, in that situation where you're sort of stuck, sometimes, one of the things that we sometimes advise people to do is kind of pull together like an informal board of directors, um, sort mm-hmm. of uh, people from all over your life and work who can kind of come together and kind of brainstorm with you and be your cheerleaders and help you think a little out of the box. That's yeah, a great, that's that's a great, a great point. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. We really do need to 
sometimes stretch ourselves and bring in those people who know us and and and, and care about us to help uh, advise on these matters. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Today we are uh, talking about cancer and careers. Um, we are talking about the uh, practical issues that folks face in the workplace uh, with a cancer diagnosis. We're talking about the um, emotional issues uh, that folks are are dealing with. We're going to take a quick break uh, right now, but when we come back, we are going to dive into some of the legal um, and insurance-related issues that people confront when they are dealing with uh, a diagnosis of cancer and they are working, some of those challenging workplace issues. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is uh, brought to you in part today by Millennium and Amgen. Um, on today's show, we're talking about the challenges and resources that are available for those living with cancer, who are also some of the 150 million working Americans. Um, in addition to the nonprofit resources, there are many legal rights that individuals have to protect themselves through their cancer uh, diagnosis, their treatment, and their recovery. Um, we've covered a lot of great resources and tools for individuals, but I want to move into the rights that Americans have through their cancer experience. I want to bring in Joanna Morales. Uh, she is the uh, director of the Cancer Legal Resource uh, Center. Um, Joanna, let's just start by you telling our listeners about the center. What does your organization offer in terms of resources for those with cancer. The Cancer Legal Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides free information and resources on all types of cancer-related legal issues to anyone who's coping with a cancer diagnosis. 
And cancer-related legal issues can include things like employment issues and taking time off work, but they can also include things like health and disability insurance options, understanding health care reform, navigating insurance and appeals, genetic discrimination, estate planning, managing the cost of cancer care. It really runs the gamut of issues that come up for people. And there are two parts to it to our program. We have a national telephone assistance line where people can call us from all over the country and get specific information for their questions. And then we also have a national education and outreach program where we provide free educational seminars, cancer rights conferences, and online information on cancer-related legal issues on our website. Um, so, Joanna, let's get into, um, I, you know, I know obviously this, the, you know, as if it's not enough to deal with the cancer diagnosis and treatment decisions and side effect management, I think folks do have a lot of questions and concerns about what their rights are um, it, you know, in the workplace with regard to a cancer diagnosis, what their, what their obligations are, what their rights are. Um, and, and so I, I want to just get into, um, from a top-line standpoint, some of the main laws uh, that are in place to protect cancer patients and survivors in the workplace. Can you highlight a few of those, those, those key issues for us, Joanna? Absolutely. There are actually several different types of legal protections for people with cancer who want to continue working through treatment or return to work after their treatment. And there are federal laws such as the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Family and Medical Leave Act, but there are also state fair employment laws and state medical leave laws that not only apply to people with cancer, but also for caregivers. Okay. So let's get into, I know a lot of folks have heard about uh, FMLA and about ADA, you know, Family Medical Leave Act, Americans with Disabilities Act. Joanna, can you just take a minute to break both of those down for us? Sure. Under the ADA, in addition to just generally being protected from discrimination in the workplace, individuals who qualify are also entitled to things called reasonable accommodations. And a reasonable accommodation can be anything that can help someone do their job. So that can be a change in work schedule or maybe even a change in work policy. So accommodations are always based on an individual situation. So it can be simple like rearranging a workspace to make things easier to reach or getting additional rest breaks during the day or even something more complicated like rearranging a work schedule, like changing a schedule from a five, eight-hour day to a four, ten-hour day, Monday through Thursday, so that people can have Friday off for treatment or visits to the doctor. So how does somebody... How does somebody ask for these um, accommodations? What do, what do they need to do to ask for them? Do they need to provide some medical documentation? What, you know, how do you advise somebody to approach their employer about these accommodations? So the first thing to, to get an accommodation, first you have to show that you're entitled to use the ADA's protections. And that means that you have to have a disability as defined by the ADA. Okay. And a disability under the ADA is a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. So there are a few parts to that. First, okay. you have to have an impairment, such as cancer. And cancer, th- cancer counts under that? Cancer can count, but it's always looked at on a case-by-case basis. Okay. So the second piece is that it, your impairment has to limit a major life activity. And major life activities are things like walking, talking, breathing, thinking, communicating. So they're major life activities, not things like mountain climbing or surfboarding. Um, But then the limit on those life activities also has to be substantial. 
So it can't just be minor or only happen every once in a while. So in addition to showing that you have a disability under the ADA, you have to show that you are qualified for the job, which means that you have to meet the requirements of the job. So if you're applying to be a surgeon, you actually have to be a surgeon in order to be a qualified employee. Mm-hmm. So once you show that you qualify for the ADA's protections, if an employee feels like they need an accommodation, they can speak with their supervisor or they can go to a human resources representative to ask for an accommodation. And you aren't required to mention the ADA by name. So any request that you make has to be kept confidential. So an employer or HR person can't say to all of your coworkers, Jane's taking um, every third Friday off for her chemotherapy as a reasonable accommodation. Your medical information is always supposed to be kept confidential. Okay. And then once you ask for the accommodation, the employer and the employee are supposed to engage in what's called the interactive process. So the employee and the employer are supposed to work together to figure out the most appropriate accommodation. And accommodations are reasonable if they're effective. So employers generally have to grant them unless they can show that it would be an undue hardship on the employer. Okay. Okay. And what does that mean, undue hardship on the employer? Undue hardship means that it's, it really is a hardship for the employer to have to provide that accommodation. And that's a pretty high standard for the employer to have to meet. Most mm-hmm. employers will argue that it's too expensive or it's inconvenient, and that really isn't sufficient. They, it really has to be a hardship for the employer to provide. And would that, would that be more common in a smaller workplace, Joanna? It definitely can. So if someone were to be out of work for a period of time or um, there was something that was so expensive that it wasn't financially possible for the employer to provide it, that, that's mm-hmm. definitely more likely to happen for a smaller employer. Okay. Now, Joanna, can we jump to FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act? Can you just describe for us kind of the top-line provisions in that law? Absolutely. The Family and Medical Leave Act is a federal law, so it does apply to all 50 states. And it only applies to, to private employers with 50 or more employees. So it's really for okay. larger employers. Um, and the FMLA gives you the right to take up to 12 work weeks of unpaid but job-protected and health insurance-protected leave in a 12-month period. And employees can take the FMLA leave either for their own serious medical condition or to care for a spouse, a parent, or a child who has a serious medical condition. And so, again, how does an employee approach an employer about requesting uh, this? What are their, you know, what are their obligations? What documentation needs to be provided? What are sort of the practical ways that someone would go about requesting FMLA? So, again, you would either go to your supervisor or to your human resources representative. You, again, don't have to mention FMLA by name. That's something that the employer should know. So, if you Mm -hmm. ask for time off because you have a serious medical condition, the employer should know whether or not that would trigger FMLA leave. And what that means is your job is protected during those 12 weeks, but also your health insurance coverage is protected if you receive health insurance coverage through your employer. So Mm -hmm. your employer can't ask you to go on COBRA or cancel your insurance coverage. Okay. So I think those are good. Those are good rights for folks certainly to be um, to be aware of. Um, I, yeah, I want to get back to this question, Joanna. I think this is a critical question. Does someone with cancer have to disclose 
their cancer to their, um, A, to their current employer, and B, if they're applying for um, a new job to a prospective uh, employer. And, and can anybody ask you about any of these issues in an interview? And those are great questions, and they're questions that come up quite a bit. So employees never need to disclose information about their medical condition to an employer or a potential employer unless they're asking for a reasonable accommodation or some type of medical leave. And even in those cases, an employee only needs to share enough information to show that they need the accommodation or the leave. So, so what, would that, what would qualify as enough information? Um, documentation from a doctor. Usually employers are going to want some type of letter or uh, certification that the employee actually is entitled to that leave time or that accommodation. And so it doesn't need to specify the condition. It just needs to say Not the... necessarily. Okay. So, so a diagnosis isn't necessarily required, but it does have to state that a person has a medical condition that is preventing them p- from performing the essential functions of their job, which gives them the right to the reasonable accommodation or the time off through medical leave. Okay. Now, Kate mentioned that choosing to share your experience with cancer is a very personal decision. And some employers are great and won't use that information against you, but we do see situations where that's a problem in the employment arena. So we just want people to understand what their rights are and what their options are and to think through their choices ahead of time to make sure that they're comfortable with their decisions. So you had asked about the interview process and what employers can ask. They can only ask questions related to a person's abilities. So they can say things like, can you perform the essential functions of the job, or how will you perform the essential functions of the job? They can't ask things like, have you ever had cancer, or do you have cancer? Are you going through treatment right now? Have you ever taken sick leave or FMLA leave at your last job? Or how much sick leave did you take in the past? So but, of that, course, that's yeah. where, as Joanna always says, the, the law in real life don't always intersect <laughs> because they often do ask, um, and so you have to have a ready answer. Exactly. So being prepared on how you would respond to these questions if you're faced with them is really important because if someone is asked that in an interview and your reaction is, well, you're not allowed to ask me that under the ADA, then that might not get you the job because it sounds a little defensive. Um, But, you know, being prepared with how you would respond is important. Excellent. I think those are are all uh, uh, great tips, a lot of great information. I think a lot, you know, also... um, Obviously, a lot, to, a lot for people to absorb. But uh, you know, bottom line here is that you, um, as an employee, do have um, under the law a number of rights um, under ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, under FMA, FMLA, Family um, Medical Leave Act. So I think it is important for folks to uh, know what their rights are under these laws. These laws were certainly put in place um, to protect uh, uh, to protect our Americans, to protect patients, to protect family members and to, um, you know, allow us to, uh, to be protected in dealing with the realities of, uh, you know, illnesses that, that we're going to be confronted with in our own lives and in the lives of our um, family members. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about cancer in the workplace. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. 
View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been discussing the many challenges and also tools, resources, legal rights available to those living with cancer in the workforce. Uh, we're here today with Kate Sweeney, the Executive Director of Cancer and Careers, Julie Jansen, author and cancer coach, and Joanna Morales, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center. In our final segment here, and I, I can't believe that we're already into our final segment because there's, it's been such a great conversation and we've been covering some really critical issues. Um, we just want to cover a couple questions around insurance um, and answer some important questions for, for uh, the many uh, employed cancer patients in the United States. Um, Joanna, uh, just want to go back um, uh, with regard to insurance. What are a patient's options um, if they're someone with cancer and they've uh, either lost their job um, been laid off, been fired, or have chosen to leave their job? What, what do folks need to know about insurance in those instances? So if an employee has lost or left their job and they had health insurance coverage through their employer, it's important to know about COBRA. So COBRA is a federal law that applies to employers that have 20 or more employees. So COBRA allows you to keep the same health insurance coverage you had when you were employed for an additional period of time and it's generally 18 to 36 months. 
Now, the downside to COBRA is that employees are responsible for paying the full amount of the coverage, and I always say that we rarely appreciate what our employers were paying for our health insurance Mm. coverage until we have to write that check ourselves. Right. And if you work for an employer with fewer than 20 employees, your state may have a state COBRA law which covers employees with 2 to 19 employees, um, but these laws vary greatly from state to state, so people can always call us to find out about what protections they have in their state. Okay. And um, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, please. Okay. And and so um, what if so so what if someone is looking for um, new insurance, uh, Joanna? I know people have a lot of questions about pre-existing conditions and um, people being denied uh, insurance for pre-existing conditions. So how does that work? Either if you're going into a new employer situation and the employer provides health insurance, or can, you know, can you be asked questions or denied about pre-existing condition? Or if you're uh, on your own looking for health insurance on your own as sort of an independent individual, um, tell us about some of the facts around those situations. So there is a federal law called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA. And HIPAA gives some protections for people with pre-existing conditions. It allows you to go from one employer's group health insurance policy to another group health insurance policy without being rejected for having a pre-existing condition. But the new employer policy can impose what's called a pre-existing condition exclusion period where they don't cover anything related to your pre-existing condition for up to a year. And this can be really difficult for someone who's in the middle of treatment because they need access to coverage. So HIPAA actually gives people a way to reduce or even eliminate the exclusion period through something called creditable coverage. Okay. Which means that HIPAA is giving you credit for the time that you had health insurance coverage in the past. Okay. So the best way to describe this is through an example. So if you worked for an employer and had health insurance coverage for eight months, and then you move to a new employer whose policy is imposing a 12-month exclusion period, okay. you, you can actually take your previous eight months of insurance coverage, subtract that from your 12-month exclusion period, mm-hmm. and then you only actually have to face a four-month exclusion Four period. Okay. So, but the key to this is that you can't have a break in your health insurance coverage that lasts longer than 63 days. And we call that our days. number. Yes. Okay. And because we, we, I, I, I would ask you how somebody came up with that, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's about two months um, yeah. is where they came up with that. But essentially, and they're very strict about it. So if you go 65 days without insurance coverage, then you That's lose it. access to all of the protections that I've talked about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it is, and, and that applies to everyone. So it's important to know, and it's not really information that's shared widely. So um, knowing that if you are moving between employers, it's a good idea not to wait too long to get new coverage, or you take COBRA coverage if you're leaving a job, which will tie you over until your new coverage kicks in. Okay. Um, and then, Joanna, let's just jump in for a minute. I know we're, we're nearing the end of the show, but let's just jump in for a minute about the new um, health care reform bill. Um, any insurance programs that can help patients and survivors? Um, what, you know, what is your take on how this new reform bill will impact cancer patients? The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which is also known as health care reform, 
actually does quite a bit to provide protections for people with cancer over the next few years. So one of the major ways that it provides new access to insurance coverage is through the pre-existing condition insurance plans, or PSIP plans. Um, And these are available in every state. Um, They only have three requirements. You have to be a U.S. citizen or in the U.S. lawfully, have a pre-existing condition, and be uninsured for six months. Okay. So to find out about the states and the premium rates available um, in your specific state, you can actually visit psip.gov, um, and that will provide all the information about the plan that's available to you. And those are available now, Joanna? They are available now in every state. In every state. What other protections are we looking at under this reform? I think the most significant ones are that um, the Affordable Care Act changed the law so that children 19 and under can no longer be denied health insurance coverage for having a pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and children and young adults can now stay on their parents' health insurance plans until the age of 26. So that greatly expands access to care for children and young adults. And then in 2014, adults with pre-existing conditions will no longer be able um, be denied health insurance coverage. Say that again, Joanna. In, on January 1st, 2014, adults mm-hmm. can no longer be denied health insurance coverage because of their pre-existing condition. And is there, um, and will anything else change at that time in terms of coverage being more affordable for folks or more accessible to folks starting in 2014? There's a great deal of change that will come in 2014, so we'll have state-based health insurance exchanges where it's a one-stop shopping place to go and search for your insurance options, and we'll be able to compare prices and plans because they'll be standardized, so you can actually compare apples to apples um, and figure out what's best for you. Um, People who are in states um, that don't currently have this law can get access to cancer clinical trials and have insurance companies cover the routine costs of care, which is significant now. Um, If you have a qualifying health insurance plan now and you need to access preventative care like cancer screenings, those screenings um, are provided free of charge. So your insurance company must cover them and they can't charge you a copay any coinsurance, and they can't apply it to your deductible. So it's increasing access to free preventative care. Great. Excellent. I think those are great uh, great highlights um, on this new bill, and certainly we want folks with cancer and others to be reading up on this and be aware of um, uh, how some of their access and rights might change beginning uh, in 2014. Um, I want to thank all three of you for being on the show today. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, Kate Sweeney, Executive Director of Cancer and Careers, Julie Jansen, author and career coach, and Joanna Morales, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center. Um, I think we're going to have to have all of you back because I think there's so much uh, for us to uh, uh, for us to talk about. It's a lot to cover in one show. But I just want to mention, if you want to learn more about Cancer and Careers and their free resources, expert advice, interactive tools, their educational events, uh, please do visit their website, www.cancerandcareers.org. Uh, they've got a comprehensive website, free publications, career coaching, uh, and, and different support programs, so, so be sure to check them out. Also, please visit our friends at the Cancer Legal Resource Center. Visit their website at uh, disabilityrightslegalcenter.org. Uh, they have a national toll-free telephone assistance line. It's 866-THE-CLRC. Uh, callers can receive free and confidential information about laws uh, and resources for their particular um, 
situation. We are longstanding friends with uh, both organizations, and we would really encourage you to check out these resources. If you'd like to learn more about Julie Jansen um, uh, or to order her uh, Workplace Coach Booklet Series, you can visit her website at www.juliejansen.net. And, of course, to learn more about the uh, Cancer Support Community, Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. We've got 50 centers around the country where we are providing support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction for people with all cancers at all stages of their illness and also for uh, the family members and loved ones of people with cancer. Um, I want to dedicate the show to all of those living with cancer uh, who are in the workplace, whether you're newly diagnosed or long-term survivor. We want you to know that you do not have to face cancer alone. There are many resources out there for you. Thanks for listening to Frank speaking about cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.